With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Football Social Daily Premier League Podcast. What is happening in the Premier League? Newcastle have turned into Norwich City. Bournemouth have turned into Barcelona. Everton would be 10th if they didn't have their points deduction. Aston Villa are going to win the title. Chelsea are going down and Fulham can't stop winning. Utterly bonkers in the top flight of English football right now. And we'll try our best to get our heads around it on today's podcast. This is Football Social Daily, the award-winning show. My name's Niall and these two are Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Good morning. Morning. Considering both of your sides got an absolute hiding at the weekend, you seem in quite good spirits. It's like to me to you, we're like the Chuckle Brothers. I was going to say, there's like a weird, like, well, who who wins in this situation? Because my team scored a goal. <laughs> but, no, but, so I feel like I've got slightly the upper hand, but, but Newcastle ha- happened more recently, so I feel like Joel's a bit chipper because he can't remember Saturday as well as he can remember Sunday. Oh, he definitely <laughs> remember it. Trust me, my, my focus is more on this week now rather than what's gone behind us. Not very often in the four or five seasons we've been doing this podcast, have I been the one not to let the side down on a Saturday oh, with a result? Pompey. Get the bell out, get the Pompey bell out. <laughs> is that well, actually, we didn't play? We didn't play, oh, so it's fine. Go. We've got a game tonight, big game, Monday Night Football, top of League One, lads. On the TV? On the telly. Oh, that's when you know it's a big one. Yeah. On the telly? But we're terrible. Anytime we're on TV, Portsmouth, we always lose. Or is it at Bolton? It's at home at Fratton Park against Bolton. Ooh. First against second. I mean, if we win that... We're cooking, boys. We're cooking. And if you don't, so, season's in <laughs> It's all over for us. Yeah, exactly. Massively reactionary. Speaking of reactionary, what a weekend in the Premier League. It's just been utterly mad. The results, not just this weekend, but midweek as well. It just feels like there's no logic or sense to some of the form we're seeing in the Premier League. I think Fulham have won three in a row. They've won two games in a row, 5-0. Raul Jimenez is back to his usual (laughs) self. Jimenez is like he was never away. (laughs) And then Bournemouth, the amount of stick I gave them and Anthony Iraiola, and now all of a sudden they've managed to flip the switch and have actually started playing decent football. Everton could be in the top half if it wasn't for that points deduction. But before we get into all of that, the first thing we need to do is what we often do first up on a Monday, and that's get in the sea, which is our opportunity to have a bit of a moan about the weekend's Premier League action. So I will come to you first, Marley, as you have your opportunity. I was hoping you'd go to Joel first. Why? Because you don't have anything. You've not done your homework. No, I have, but I want to go after Joel. 
Because I know Joel's going to have a pop <laughs> no, in Newcastle in this we're going section. Going to the team who got beat the most recently, that is Newcastle. Go on, well, take it away. Why man. don't I go first? How about that? Go on, then. Well, that doesn't solve the issue. No, it doesn't solve your problem. So, it means you don't want to go to the team. I don't know what's going on. You'll get in the seat. Ridiculous. Right, mine is, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I feel the same now. The atmosphere at some Premier League games is awful. I was watching Match of the Day last night and I was watching Fulham tear West Ham apart 5-0. And yet Craven Cottage is not known for being a raucous, bouncy ground to go to in terms of atmosphere. But you know that saying, you can hear a pin drop when it's quiet. You genuinely could hear a pin drop. It was like a golf crowd, a snooker crowd. And I'm not expecting Fulham fans to be full of beans and jumping and cheering, but at least give something. As much as we say football's entertainment, it's also not the theatre. You'd have to sit there in silence and applaud when something good happens. And, you know, I heard a bit from the West Ham fans. I heard I'm forever blowing bubbles and all of that. And we've mentioned on the podcast before that it's kind of in the hands of the sound engineers at Premier League games as to which sections of singing you hear. Heard nothing. Absolutely nothing. I thought the atmosphere was dead quiet. It was like church on a Sunday, not a Premier League football match, especially for a 5-0 win. I don't get why you wouldn't want to add something to the atmosphere. And I know singing's not for everyone, but it just feels so flat and deflated. I just feel like the atmospheres in the Premier League are just, they're dying a death. Yeah, I totally agree. And I can only give examples from Old Trafford. And it's almost like the people who want to chant Especially when you look at that North stand, the big stand at Manchester United, the the one that you can see on the TV screen uh, whenever you watch a game. That's the more sit down, watch the game. Nobody stands up unless everyone sings, stand up for the bus, be based. That's the only time they're ever going to stand up. Is that the family bit? Yeah. Uh, mixture there's also family bits on the left, but that's like the main kind of, let's say, corporate side, obviously apart from the, the media side. And Next to that side is where my friend sits and it used to be a singing section. So you were literally right next to them and they put, they put in safe standing to try and encourage the atmosphere. And there was a time where everyone in our side were chanting and the other side were just sat down and they would almost look at you strange when you started chanting as if to say, why why are you chanting at a football game for? You know, that kind of like entitlement mm. just to say, this is, this is a game where we sit and watch rather than actually joining. You know what, fair play, if they want to sit down and not say anything, that's okay. But then I think it's also on the football club to make those arrangements to actually increase the atmosphere. I know Old Trafford, they've tinkered with it so much, moving the, the singing sections from the East stand to the West stand to Stretford end to everywhere. The Stretford end used to be a really raucous place to go and sit and chant and they put a corporate section slap bang in the middle of it uh, a couple of years ago. What on earth is that going to do to the atmosphere? Kill it completely. I've been, I've been in it. Oh my God. There's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no, nothing. There's no, there's no, no atmosphere no. really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this is what I mean. So the, they're catering for the people who are going to bring in the most money for them, which is corporate seating, hospitality experiences. And I can only say the best experiences I've had in football have not been my own club's ones in terms of the crowd atmosphere. Mm. It's been going abroad to European games where the crowd's got a dedicated, proper, intense, home, loyal fan base. And then the rest of the fans, they can do what they want, but they have one proper section or go into like when we did to the Burton one. What a great way to go and support your team. That's how it should be. Now it's just the case of there's a lot of money in the game. So obviously they're going to cater for bringing in more people from more demographics, not against that at all. But there's a price you pay for the growth in the game. And I think it's just a natural occurrence, to be honest. 
But even at places like Anfield, and you know, I'm going to feel the wrath of all Liverpool fans here when I say this, the atmosphere at Anfield is not what people make it out to be. And that doesn't mean it's bad or it's dead, like some Premier League grounds. There's this kind of myth about Anfield that it's this magical place where all four stands are rumbling at all times. I've watched many games where I thought, where is this famous Anfield atmosphere? Now, when it's a night game or a European game, I'm led to believe that the atmosphere is enhanced when those occasions take place. But, you know, th- this whole idea that Premier League atmospheres are, are the best around, I don't know if I can buy into that. It's changing, definitely. I've been to Anfield on a Champions League quarterfinal night against Man City when they beat them 3-0 in 2019, I think it was, um, or 2018. And, yeah, 2017-2018 it was. Um, and the atmosphere was good, but there was things played over the speakers and stuff and like they, they do sing you'll never walk alone at the start and at the end yeah and, and that's it and then maybe it was the nerves that night I don't know it was you know quite a nervous big game but it was a good atmosphere still but I remember thinking like if if this is the best it gets I, I don't want to see a Saturday three o'clock game where it's a it's just another league game type of thing because yeah it was uh mm. it, it was different but it's, it was an experience, I suppose. Yeah. And, and people people game. will say about tourists and bringing in the most money, as Joel mentioned, and I understand all of that, that that you guys have mentioned, but I just thought it was a bit disappointing. We tout this product out around the world and the football on the pitch is excellent. I mean, this weekend just proves it again, but the atmosphere is starting to fall behind and maybe there are reasons for that, but it's not the first time and it won't be the last time that I'm sure that I'll throw that in the sea this season. Right, that's my whinge done and dusted. Who's stepping up next? God, Marley, since this is so hot off the off the press. It's, it's not really. It's just I know you're about to have a go at Newcastle. So, um, <laughs> so you're trying I'll, to find something so that's Manchester United. Based. I'll defend myself and I will we'll go for what happened um, on Saturday afternoon, three o'clock. Am I double bluff, you know? <laughs> Where, well, fair enough. <laughs> It'll be a walkover then because I'll just be having a go at United. I'm joking, so. I'm not. Yeah, um, the, the thing that got me about Man U's defeat to, to Bournemouth, right, is, is this whole like... Um, is Ten Hag at fault type of thing and there was two things that happened in that in that game where I don't I don't feel he's he's completely escaped criticism like I, people say you know oh, you know he could the, the problems are still going to remain if Ten Hag goes and they are of course they are but two things happened on the pitch where I, I just think you can you can change that and one is playing Luke Shaw at centre back when he's the only manager, I think, barring an injury crisis of other managers, he's the only manager to have ever done it, to choose to play Luke Shaw at centre-back when you've got uh, Varane on the bench and Maguire alongside him. I just thought that's that's so strange when when Bournemouth have got tall players coming into the box um, and it was proved in the pudding when Phil Billing just absolutely murders him in the back post and just comes flying in over the top. He's a hard man to stop, but a centre-back like Raphael Varane, who's defended against the best players in the world. So something's gone on there. I'm sure it has with, with Ten Hag and Varane. He's, I don't think he's going to play until January and he'll probably leave um, the club. And the second thing was pick, just picking Anthony Martial. Just, I don't understand how Jadon Sancho can have this bad attitude and be completely frozen out. But you're happy to put Anthony Martial, who has the work rate of a snail up front, 
so he can stand around in the cold wearing his gloves and not putting any effort in. And then you take him off after 56 minutes, which is, it's quite embarrassing, 56 minutes, because you basically, you get a shot at half time and you say, you've got 10 minutes. Show me something in these 10 minutes to, to stay on. And then he's starting, I think he started, he started like three games in a row now up front mm. over Hoyland. And I know Hoyland is struggling in front of goal, but he's shown in the Champions League that he's got talent and he runs like hell. He tries. And that's, I think that's what Man United need right now. They, they look like a a team that isn't trying because things are, you know, they're getting pelters and, you know, they're uh, they're in a, in a bit of a tough situation despite winning manager of the month, player of the month and goal of the month and then turning in that type of performance which kind of summed up really where Man United are, I think. Are you done? I'm done. You can, <laughs> you can clap back with, oh, you've got injuries and everybody's got injuries or whatever, go on. Thank you for your assessment on my club, Marley. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Is it not right? No, I don't dispute the majority of it, to be honest. It's not like we're naive to say how bad we are at the moment. I just, but I think, I just think he specs, makes things harder for himself, that's that's all. He's, good, he's, he's, and... he's been confusing this season, especially with his in-game management, because I know you mentioned Luke Shaw at centre-back. In January last year, he was one of the best in the league mm. in that position for yeah. a period of time. And that's probably why he trusts him in that position. But when you've got Regulon at left back, uh, it, with, with... It, makes it, it, it makes the problem twice as big because he's, yes, he might be good at centre-back, but until he, unless you've got a left back, he's one of the best, when he's in form, he's probably the best left back in the country. Is it not the left foot, right foot? Centre back pairing that most overrated thing ever. Yeah, because he plays Lind- he plays Lindelof Who next to him. Yeah, so. well, well clearly Ten Hag cares about that, which is why it's I feel like it's a very decision. Dutch thing. Because when Van Gaal was at if United, he never wanted a left. If that might if might not be the only problem reason, at, at your club that you might that you want a balanced centre back pairing, you must have a, a perfectly functioning club. That, that is your biggest problem, and you don't <laughs> exactly. So what does it matter? Crazy. Go on. Yeah. Um, my getting the C is from surprisingly the Newcastle game. And it's from Callum Wilson. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it'd be this. It is the most pathetic post-match interview I've seen in such a long time. Like I was literally embarrassed for him. Where, okay, he got he got absolutely smack, uh, clattered by Romero and whatever. Okay, fair enough. But there was a moment in the game where Vicario leaped to get the ball, and then he like pulled his tongue out at Callum Wilson as if to say like I've got the ball in front of you. And then Callum Wilson starts grabbing him. And having a go at him as if to say, like, that's not professional enough. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> All right, that, that's what you do in a football pitch. You antagonise your opponent. I think it's perfectly fine. And then after the game, he comes out and starts spitting his dummy out, saying how it wasn't professional of him to start pulling faces in front of him. Bearing in mind, this is a striker who's got a podcast with Mikel Antonio, who outed Richarlison, the guy who put two goals past your keeper yesterday. And I, he called him out on the podcast. They're pretty sure he said he's got more yellows than he has goals. And they're both laughing their asses off about it. And suddenly, he's the guy who takes your points off you. That's that's the thing. Get that's, in the seat, that's, Wilson. That's the thing. It's the context of what Wilson said based off the fact that he does sit down with another <laughs> Premier League footballer. And <laughs> says crap out of his professionals, fellow professionals, literally. Yeah. If you listen to the clip, it's Antonio that, start, that pulls that. Oh, he was laughing. He's complicit because no, no. he laughs his head no, off with he him. Start, he, Antonio says the point and then Wilson laughs along and says he's nearly got a suspension. Yeah, but Marley, that's the, that's the peak of the iceberg. It, them two go out and get footballers right. non-stop. Whether it's like satire or not, that's fair enough, he's jokey. But it's the fact that, come on, on a football pitch, we love Towsery. Like, we love it. Vicario literally just sticks his tongue out and he was so upset after the game for no reason. I mean... I've seen worse than that. He could have like got in his face, could have done anything. 
I thought that was great from Vicario, to be honest. I loved it. I love a bit of sorcery. I, as it, right. <laughs> I think it was bizarre from Vicario in the first Why? place. Like, just w- goalies have this weird. Ch- I don't know. I can't relate because I'm not a goalie, so I'm not mental. But every goalie <laughs> is like, it's such a terrible winner. They are tapped. They are tapped. <laughs> Pickford does it. I think Ramsdale does it all the time. There's loads of him. We've actually got the most vanilla goalie in the league. Nick Pope, there's no emotion on his face ever. It kind of winds you up sometimes. I'm like, celebrate a save or whatever. But yeah, I look, I thought Wilson was was in the wrong. I thought just, you know, just take it. Like, it's fine. Do you think his pro- into is a bit soft though? Like, it's um, almost like he's deflecting from the fact that they've just got Just batted. take your medicine no, though. Yeah, I, you know I, I, mean? I totally agree with I, what Marley says. Take your medicine because Newcastle have dished out a few whoopings in the last few seasons. That's right? what I mean. So, like, you, you know, we, you, we you're going to have to take it on the Spurs. chin. Like, come on. We had six past Spurs in March. Oh, was that the one you went 5-0? Oh, yeah. We were 5-0 yeah, up yeah, yeah. after 22 minutes, I think. But there was no there was no housery, I suppose. Maybe that's oh, where... Oh, come maybe, on. Newcastle no, have maybe, definitely done a bit in their time. No, but maybe, maybe that's where it comes from. Like, is is in the winning. Like, we, everyone, like you know, has a bit of housery to win, to win the game, you know, like... Yeah. You know, when you get a ball at a throw and it accidentally slips out of your hands and you get to take it again and that's another three or four seconds... Stuff like that, but I, I can't recall us sort of rubbing it in when we win. But it will it will happen. It is part of the game. But yeah, Wilson came out after the game and you know he did he did the whole interview thing. And then he was asked at the end of the interview, so that is being taken out of context. He didn't choose to do the interview so he could have a go at Vicario. He was just asked about it at the end, and the guy said thanks for answering it because usually you just get a proper media trained terrible answer of oh you know it's just one of the things that happens on a pitch and I'm not going to say what he said and say what I said or whatever. But going back to his his podcast, I, I've never been comfortable with it. Ever it's quite because strange because you're at, you're at the mercy of your own performances. Then aren't you pretty? Because they're both yeah. still playing. You mean? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It's I I always think we've got this thing of like oh you know no one's got a personality anymore and one of them things one of their solutions to that thing is is to have a podcast and I have I've listened to it a few times Antonio and um, and Wilson and I just. I don't I don't really get it. I don't really get why I mean basically I, I don't get why they do it because things like this can happen. It just comes back to bite you. It in will the come back it, it will come it? back Always. to bite you and yeah. as much as Richarlison has a laughable record at Spurs, you know, I think he came up before the game he scored six goals in 49 games for them. Yeah. Like the geezer is useless. But, uh, but I've, then I've, he could just score twice And he's probably him. adding more fuel into his fire going into that game because he knows the guy that's just laughed his head off at the fact he's got more yellows than cards. He's going to be even more motivated during that game. And Wilson might make himself more of a target as well during that game. Maybe. I'm sure the Tottenham players were well aware of what's going no on. No way. Stu- no, they're um, not you naive to it. No, nah, I, I get they'll that, they'll but there's the no way Romero they, goes they in on Wilson's arm. No, I'm not saying it's ankle because. No, I'm not saying it's because of that. But oh, I'm that, saying they'll, they'll be aware of it. That's definitely a thing because Romero's an absolute psycho. Oh, Romero do it to an old woman crossing the street. Like that's just not out of the question. Right, that's it for getting the sea. <laughs> I've had enough talking about Newcastle against Spurs and Man United and all of that. We're going to talk about the teams that actually are important from the weekend after this. Aston Villa, the main one, because. We asked whether Aston Villa could be topped by Christmas, kind of jokingly, a couple of weeks ago. Well, they're definitely in the title race now if they weren't before, because in the last two games, they've beaten Manchester City, and now they've gone and beaten Arsenal. Two totally different performances from Villa, but what a ride they're on. We'll discuss them next on Football Social Daily. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Aston Villa are going to win the Premier League. Wow. A statement that some people might actually be believing at this point in time if they are of Aston Villa persuasion because after beating Manchester City, they only went and beat Arsenal as well at the weekend. Two very different performances though, Marley. They absolutely dominated Manchester City. Against Arsenal though, they were clinging on a little bit, but they dug in, they got the result and now I think we have to say because, as you always mention, you're in it until you're out of it, Villa... They're in the title race. 100%. 100% they are. They're one of the only teams in the league that's playing well. They're playing as, as best they can. You know, Arsenal are faltering a little bit. They look good when they when they win. They look really good. But when when it when they, when it gets a bit hard, you know, they don't look at the best. Man City are, are still way off. Um, Liverpool are still not at the best. They're grinding out wins and coming from behind and things like that. And then you've got Villa just flying along, hammering everyone. Except that first day of the season when they came to St James's and got beat, <laughs> oh which, I, which I'm contractually obliged to, uh, <laughs> to to put in there. So <laughs> that's disgraceful. But it is what it is. You know, since then they've been they've been incredible. Um, was it is it 15, 16 straight home wins now, um, mm. which is that's as good as it gets really. Um, and yeah, they're they're flying along, even you know, I I mentioned whether Watkins can score against the the top. Top sides the other day, he's gone, hasn't scored against Villa, against Villa, against City or or Arsenal, but someone else has, and that's all that really matters. As long as someone scores, someone steps up, um, and then you know you've got Bailey against um, against Man City, and you've got big John McGinn against uh, Arsenal, who I think did, I can't remember, can't remember if it was on the podcast or in the studio, and just off mic when we said the other day that John McGinn's the most underrated player in the Premier League. He, he, on the record, he is. He's, he's awesome. underrated. He's awesome. He's got a big fat ass, and he just put. <laughs> just you cannot move it. And he always says it in interviews. Like it's just like they say. They say like you know your your body strength's really good. And he's like, I it's my ass. <laughs> it's like I get Yaya Tori on an interview with him. Then. It's <laughs> mad. He's just, Hazard. He's going in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but he's got he's got mad quality though. Mad quality. Like his his touch, his dribbling. He can shoot. You know, gets in good positions. Um, 
And he keeps good players out of that team. They've got Diaby and Bailey, who are probably the best wingers at the club. Also Jacob Ramsey. And Ramsey, yeah, they've got good youth talent and stuff like that. And then you've got John McGinn, who's just like undroppable, completely undroppable, and obviously captain and stuff like that. So that kind of plays into it a bit as well. But uh, yeah, brilliant. And they're still going. And fair play to them. Well, yeah, I mean, beating Manchester City is one thing, but then going on and beating Arsenal, and that puts them two points off top, which is currently Liverpool's position. So they're on 37 points, Arsenal are on 36, Villa are on 35, and Manchester City are on 33. Now, they're in the title race, but I'm still not convinced they're going to finish in the top four. But then again, the momentum is with Villa, and teams will be scared to play Aston Villa now. They'll be worried about it. Especially at Villa Park. Considering that record, that's the best in the league, isn't it? They're more of a difficult prospect to go away from home than some of the top teams in the Premier League at the moment. But I said a couple of podcasts ago, um, if they get four points out of six at best against City and Arsenal, then I think teams need to start taking them seriously. But it was the fact that against City, I've not seen a team dismantle them like that in such a long time. I literally cannot remember a game. And then Arsenal... It was the opposite side of the spectrum where Arsenal were completely jabbing them constantly. They rode the waves and then they just hit them and then defended so well. Don't know if you guys thought that was a penalty for Arsenal with the Havertz handball. I couldn't tell you. I watched it a million times. It was really inconclusive, wasn't it? Because it bounces off everybody's hand and chest. I don't even know what to look at. I'll tell you what, I've got a late contender for getting the sea. Saw an Arsenal fan on social media say, well, that's it. That's decided. PGMOL have decided that they want Liverpool to win the Premier League oh, this season. Jesus I was like, honestly, you had 98 minutes to score a goal. You didn't do it. You cannot blame anyone but yourselves. And they should have joined that game. They, they should have scored. Were, yeah, they 100% they should have scored, but they didn't. Yeah, they so, so, I mean, you can talk about handballs yeah, yeah. or penalties. They should have scored, regardless. Yeah, yeah. They were on top, and that's why, full respect to Aston Villa, because now you really do have to take them seriously. But... I have them with the same asterisk I had with Spurs, which is that if they lose one or two of their best players, I want to see what the reaction is because obviously Spurs lost uh, Madison and Van der Ven. And although they are still maintaining it, don't get me wrong, I think the level of play is probably, let's say, a tiny bit higher than uh, Villa's on a a plain level field. But with Villa at the moment, no real injury concerns. Mings is the only one. And, and he, I actually think, really that, I think that's a huge blessing in disguise because <laughs> yeah. I think Pau Torres, Diego Carlos and Ezri Concert are all better than Tyrone Mings. 100%. And remember when they got Diego Carlos and he got that really bad injury last season? He yeah. was one of the best defenders in La Liga that season. And everyone kind of just forgot about him because he got that injury. Forgetting that now he's really starting to show his worth. He's been awesome for them at the back. Yeah. Pau Torres, another top player for yeah. um, Villarreal yeah. with Emery as well. Mm. I think you got I, I, I give him a bit of stick. Like, why, why is it better? Why is a better team than Villa not coming in for him? Because, I said I thought that as well. Because he was linked with Man United a while yeah, ago. a long time. Um, and yeah. I just thought he's, maybe he's not the same player, but he settled in pretty well. He was a little bit shaky at the very start, but as soon as he found his feet, because mm-hmm. I think he came into the team when Mings got injured. So You always need that break, don't you, in the team? I, I know yeah, what your answer to this question is going to be, Marley, but I've got to ask you. Go on. Newcastle were linked with Unai Emery before they got Eddie Howe. <laughs> yeah. And Unai Emery actually, I think, turned Newcastle down. Is that right? Yeah. They had dead interviews, yeah. So no, usually is my answer. <laughs> yeah, the answer is there's nothing that he's doing at Villa that makes you think, oh, maybe we should have got him. No, because um, we were when when Eddie Howe came in, we were caught adrift. Like we we were almost, you know, at the point of no return. 
Um, and I think having a manager that has that has been down there more recently in his career, and you can probably say, has has you and I, Emery, ever been down there in his career? Probably has, if you look back at some point in his in his whole coaching um, journey so far. But no, I thought I thought Eddie was the right person to come in um, at that time. I think I actually think if you were gonna take a step further and to and appoint someone after Eddie Howe hits a plateau, that would be someone like Unai Emery. And then when you're winning leagues and whatever in the future, if that does happen, then you maybe go for a, a superstar manager like a Jose Mourinho or something like that. But he's, you know, he's came in at Villa and he's turned everything round. And I think it's um, it's just coaching. It's I mean, th- the one thing the two clubs have got in common, Villa and Newcastle, is they overtook a squad from a manager that just, just didn't get them at all, didn't do anything. Gerard at Villa couldn't get anything out of any of these players. Uh, and you see in, you know, the likes of Cash, Conser, Watkins, McGinn, they're all there. Douglas Louise, Martinez, they're all, they were all there. You know, but you how had, does you he do the, that? How does tools. Unai Emery do that and get them playing like that? I don't love, get I'd it. I'd love what's to spend his, a week at any his... football club that's had that's gone through that transformation. Spend two weeks, you know, just or a week. Because we talk like about... a week at either, like a week yeah, on yeah. watching Steve Bruce's training, and then a week watching Eddie Howe's. So we talk about belief and confidence, and those two things being huge for players. You know, you've got to have that self belief, and you've got to have confidence to be able to go onto the pitch and do the things that you can do. And it's not just as simple as saying they put their arms around these players and go, go on, Len. Show us what you you know. We all know you're good, lad. Come on, show us what you can do. There's obviously way more to it than that. I would assume it's something like, like with Villa when they had Gerard, and obviously it was going sour towards the end. When Emery came in, there's that thing, that mentality of, Christ, we know this guy's good. He's gonna be good. Let's get up for this. Let's listen to everything he says. Let's trust what he does. And you see in the the rewards of that. I think when when it was Newcastle. Um, and replacing Bruce with Eddie Howe, it was that last guy is so bad. I will latch onto anything, any sort of coaching, any sort of um, idea and philosophy we will latch onto in that first week, two weeks, three weeks, and we'll see it over time. And as long as it comes fairly soon, then you're right. Then you're you're, you're away. You're out of the traps then, because mm. you know that what you're doing on the training pitch four, five, six times a week is then gonna carry you somewhere. You get that confidence. And the snowball just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and that's it. Then you're away. Um, and then it's about adapting and coaching players that know what they're doing into being slightly better in this position and that position. Whereas I think sometimes when you see managers get sacked and um, a new guy come in and it goes well for a honeymoon period, they call it, and then it's tails off. They're the guys that have came in and gone, he's gone now, play your way. But mm. ultimately they then don't have much of a clue beyond that. They can't adapt to the plateau because it comes really quick. Whereas we have good coaches, which Eddie Howe and Unai Emery obviously are, you know, it keeps getting better and better and ends up in Champions League football with Newcastle, battering PSG and going to Milan and getting Dortmund and stuff like that. And it'll happen with Villa. They'll go and win the Conference League and they might finish in the top four. 
Well, what a weekend for Aston Villa yet again. They are now third in the Premier League table and just two points off top. Remarkable stuff after beating Arsenal. And Marley mentioned managers being sacked. Earlier on this season, we spoke about Anthony Iraiola and whether he was on the brink of losing his job as Bournemouth manager. Well, he's turned it around. And Chelsea under Maurizio Pochettino, they're 12th in the table. And unbelievably, the Chelsea boss has called for potentially more signings in the January window if Chelsea keep playing the way that they are playing, which is not very well at the moment. We'll talk about both of those things next on Football Social Daily. See you after this. Final part of today's show. Welcome back to the podcast. If you hit follow or subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again. Let's talk about Bournemouth. And I know you don't want to talk too much about Manchester United. We've already had our say about United, Joel, but credit to them where credit is due. They've turned it on. They've found a way. And we spoke about managers before the break with Unai Emery and Eddie Howe and the improvement in squads. Anthony Iraiola was a young manager who Bournemouth took a punt on after controversially getting rid of Gary O'Neill, who himself has performed very well at Wolves this season in the dugout. But what's changed? Where has this belief, confidence and style of play come from? Because it was just turgid and there was no signs, there was no green shoots from my perspective in the early stages of the season. And now here they are, Bournemouth going to Old Trafford and beating Manchester United comfortably. Well, it all started during that 2-0 win against Newcastle, I think. It actually did, though. That was the start of their really good run because prior to that game, they got thumped 6-1 by Manchester City. And we were thinking, is this really going to work? But you had to just take belief in the fact that when Iraola was at Real Valladolid and his team played some really, really good football, which is the reason why they actually hired him, Although at the time it did feel like a quite harsh decision considering how well Gary O'Neill's doing at Wolves at the moment. I always felt like it was a matter of time because they made pretty clever signings, let's say, but it just didn't feel like anything was clicking early on. But in the last five games, especially the game at Old Trafford on Saturday and the way in which Areola came out after the game and explained the reasons for Bournemouth basically beating Man United, just... He's so tactically aware. That's the one thing I got from his interview. The fact that he knew United leave ridiculous amounts of spaces going forward, which is why he put Domit Solanke in those little pockets of space. When you look at it in hindsight, it's just so logical. And he saw that and he was ready for that. And that's why you're seeing them now. They've gone really high up in the Premier League at the moment, which I think is absolutely deserved. The fact that they've been undefeated in the last five games is so deserved as well. And he deserves his plaudits because we've criticised him heavily in those first six games. I don't, I don't know if it's because we've had Gary O'Neill and the Bournemouth situation mm. more on our agenda. Which yeah, felt I, like I he was, was more frustrated yeah. with Bournemouth, I, the club, than Iraiola, the manager. Yeah. And I so think he got that caught in the crossfire, I think. Because yeah. obviously Iraiola's got nothing to do with that. He's no, been no. hired in his time. And he wouldn't coach. turn it down, the opportunity yeah, to manage course. in the Premier coming League. From, so. Coming from Spain to Bournemouth, I'm sure it's a great prospect for his career and he's just got caught in that crossfire of everyone defending Gary O'Neill fair enough but he deserves his plaudits now because he's making their team really work I love the way they played against us from the midfield building they weren't phased when they got pressed they were really dogged when in the press when they lost the ball and I just think it's really good signs for Bournemouth and he's actually showing why he was hired finally well, from one manager who deserves praise in Anthony Iraiola to another who's under serious scrutiny, and that is Maurizio Pochettino at Chelsea, who yet again ended up on the wrong side of a defeat. 
That leaves them 12th in the table. But the thing that stunned me the most, Marley, was what he said post-match. And he said that maybe if things keep going the way they are, he might have to talk to the owner about <laughs> investing in players in January. This is a team that spent £1.2 billion pounds on players. If I was him, I wouldn't be ringing the owner. <laughs> I'd be, uh, I'd be changing, changing my number and all sorts of stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand how he can spend £1.2 billion pounds and go into a... Go into a season with Nicholas Jackson and Armando Breuer as your strikers. Yeah, and I'm so not, are we blaming I, are we blaming the owner Todd Bowley here and not Maurizio Pochettino? Maurizio Pochettino is clearly a good coach, but I'd like to think that we would see more from Chelsea. And I know it's a totally new group, but Bournemouth have spent a lot of money on players as well this summer. Brought in a lot of new faces. Took Iriola some time to get it going, but Chelsea have been so patchy and so inconsistent. And even that big win over Tottenham against nine men played okay. Yeah, no. but it feels like we're not seeing that much progression from Chelsea and it is pretty difficult to watch. It is. Um, to sort of answer your initial question, I think it's a bit of both from, you know, like, is it Bowley's fault? Is it his um, strategy that's sort of left them with holes in the squad? Pro- probably more him, but also can Pochettino not say, mate, we need a striker? Like, if, even if Nicholas Jackson was doing well, He'd be one, you know, he's one injury away from everything collapsing. You can't, you can't just have one striker. Breuer is not quite good enough for Chelsea. I think he could do a job for a mid-table team, no problem, really. Everton, probably getting that team. Fulham, probably getting that team. If Raul doesn't uh, <laughs> carry scoring. on banging goals, <laughs> he'd like the wrong time rolling to, uh, back the years. Raul Jimenez, love that guy, but there's just nothing there from Chelsea. There's, there's one step forward and two steps back, and you know, you see. You see a complete. You see a different team every week. This is what winds me up. Mm. There's a different defense every week. Um, there's Mark Cucurella playing right back. What? What's that about? I've never. I don't get it. Like Reese James can't stay fit. Like 27 minutes he lasted at the weekend. Cucurella comes on at right back. You paid 63 million and you can't even get in the position you paid that money for because you want to put Colwell at left back if anyone. Um, and then to make it worse. You've got Baddy Ashiel playing football, who's is just terrible. He's awful. I mean, the the goal Everton scored, where Calvert Lewin runs off him, is it's the most that pass can only go where it goes. It's so easy to see it, and Baddy Ashiel just, he, he, it's like he's got blinkers on. He doesn't see anything. He doesn't see Calvert Lewin coming, even though that's the only run he can make. He doesn't slide and intercept the ball. He doesn't stretch and intercept it or anything. He just has no. No awareness of anything as a defender, and he's on an eight and a half year contract, and you paid forty million quid for him or whatever it is. Got all in the name of amortisation. It's weird. It's really strange. You know, we got Thiago Silva sat on the bench. Dizassi sat on the bench. I think for I think he came on, but still, just build, pick a defence and stick with it. Pick Cucurella at left back if he's the yeah. only available left back. So the owner Cole will play centre back and nothing else. The owner's got to take some responsibility, as you say, but also. Pochettino picks the team and there are issues in his selection, as you've mentioned. But also, you you just cannot come out after a game, plead poverty with the owner who spent £1.2 billion. Whether you think that he spent the money wisely or not is another question. You mentioned the amortisation, the eight-year contracts. Chelsea have spent enough money on enough good players to be doing better than they are, Joel, and they're not. And that's the issue. I think it's a tricky one, this. At first, I really laughed at it because they've literally, I mean, I was just looking at the statistics here. They made nine signings in his first summer, eight more in the winter window, 
took it to 18 players by the end of January in his first six months. I mean, when you look at it in that way, it sounds ridiculous, but let's not forget they've lost a lot of players as well. So it was almost like Cooper's situation at Nottingham Forest, but on ridiculous steroids in terms of trying to bed in all these new players, new personalities. I mean, it must be a nightmare to create a culture and a, and a, and a, morale and a spirit in a squad that's just completely new faces it's not like he's just bringing in one or two every summer he's literally got a whole new dressing room that he now has to try and bed in they all have to make friends with each other they need to learn how each other plays and that's why for Pochettino because we saw at Paris Saint-Germain he couldn't do it when he had all these egos all these new but do Chelsea have egos I don't think they do I don't think Chelsea have loads ah, of fo- egos in the team. Ah, but footballers have egos. Yeah, I mean, but it's not Neymar, Messi. Ah, but even still, Mbappe. Though. These are not world superstars. Oh, but I mean, at it's, it's a similar. Se- it's a similar setup to PSG in terms of the way in which he really didn't have much power over transfers when he was at Paris Saint Germain. It was Al Khalifi doing all the work or Leonardo. You go to Chelsea. I'm sure Todd Bowles just signing all this off. But you still have to coach the team, and I, I kind of understand where you're coming from because I don't think Pochettino should be sacked personally. So I'm basically siding with you here, and also you need to. Remember Remember, exactly as you say, it's been a very short transition so far for Chelsea, unlike Manchester United, where it's been a lot longer. So you think about Chelsea and where they were two years ago. They were winning the Champions League under Thomas Tuchel. So you can understand that that is a real nosedive to be 12th in the Premier League table. But Pochettino has to be doing more. I don't think that there's any argument about that. I mean, you can come up with excuses and reasons why, but even with all of that maybe offsetting where Chelsea are at the moment, he needs to be doing more because if you look at their fixtures coming up, they've got Sheffield United, Wolves, Crystal Palace, Luton, Fulham, then it's Liverpool, Wolves again, Palace again, and that takes us up to early February. If Chelsea don't get many wins from those games, they could be looking over their shoulders. They could be 15th. They could. I mean, I don't want to use the term relegation battle because they'll be fine. They won't. They won't go down. They'll stay up. But Chelsea, if they do not start winning games and getting points. It could be like another Jose 2007 where they literally find themselves in 15th and everything feels like nothing can happen because it's it's just like Marley said, in some games I feel like they're clicking and I really like the way they play. And in the next game, they'll just get absolutely battered at Stamford Bridge and I'm thinking, where did that performance just go from last week? I mean, I'm just looking at the... Squ- the that's the thing though, like they're, going forward, they're okay. They're not, they're not that bad. I know they're not scoring many goals, but it's at the back, they just get got at. I mean, yeah, Everton 29% possession at the weekend, I think they had. I mean, yeah, literally just looking at the back four that Chelsea had, including Sanchez, which I've never, ever been convinced with as a goalkeeper. No, I don't know all. what planet before he was right. Kukurea, Badia Shile, Dizassi and Rhys James, who cannot seem to stay fit. Out of one billion spent, how, how, what recruitment strategy do they have? That The guy that they got in as the director of football, who then left from... Salzburg or Leipzig, I can't remember which, I'm pretty sure it's Salzburg. They brought in and then he ended up leaving shortly after. Why? I don't. Is there a power struggle going on in the hierarchy? Because that back four to me strikes me as a strategy or a, a recruitment department that don't mm. know what they want. And when you've had three managers in the space of a, a year and a half, Thomas Tuchel, Potter and Pochettino, but this is why I'm thinking Pochettino's struggling. They all would have been signed off of profiles though, wouldn't they? Chelsea would have had a list of profiles of the sorts of player that they want to sign and they would have signed them based Young, on the that's and why I, that's long why I, contracts. That's yes. why I don't get Badia Shield. There was there was no thing. <laughs> there was no like, oh, this guy. You know, remember when Koulibaly came and we all knew that he, he used to Prestige be. From yeah, that he was a bit he was, he was at it, one yeah, point yeah. the best best centre-back in Italy. Badia Shield didn't have that at Monaco. He wasn't exactly yeah. standing out. He was okay and he was decent in a Monaco team. But 
he won the lottery with that move. Absolutely won the lottery. And then Dizassi kind of came in with a little bit more hype because he's I think he's a bit younger. Um and that's fine. But are any of them better than Levi Colwell, who you got for free and you've developed through your absolutely world class youth system of which you now sell players left, right and centre. You sell Livramento, you sell Lewis Hall, sell Mason Mount, you sell Loftus Cheek's gone now as well. It's like all these players come through and then they just get binned off because somebody, you know, the magpie that is Todd Bowley sees a new shiny thing. Yep. And he just goes sixty million, eight year contract. There you yeah. go. And and then I've been pretty vocal got so about many Bowley, holes though. in the team. I don't like him and I don't like how he's running Chelsea. It's like when you go on holiday and you don't realise that it's all inclusive. So on the first day you're like, Oh, I'll have the vodka, the gin, the rum, and then you just drink it all <laughs> oh, you and then the next belly. day you look at your belly and the next day you've got a massive hangover and you think, Why did I do that? I think that's yeah. the the best way to it's, describe it's the Todd Bowley situation at the moment. I wanted to touch upon Everton though before we finish today's football social daily. They were the ones that beat Chelsea. That's now a couple of wins in a row for Sean Dyche's side. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, had they not been deducted ten points for breaching the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules they would be in the top half of the Premier League table. Now, 10 points is an exceptionally harsh points deduction, but with Luton losing the game at the weekend, that now puts Everton out of danger. They're staying up, aren't they? Everton are surviving, surely. Yeah, I think they are. Um, the goals of Abdullah Dekure have come in, uh, come in handy. I, didn't, I mean, I always knew he had, he had a goal in him, but he seems to be churning them out at the minute and... You know, fair play. If 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 they can get Calvert Lewin scoring because he's missing everything he should score at the minute, um, then that'd be that'd be massive. But yeah, they're, they're defending well. Branthwaite's getting a lot of praise um, at the back. He's he's doing pretty well. They seem to have shored things up, which is what Sean Dyche does. Shore, shores things up and then praises people for celebrations, which is yeah. the, probably the, one of the most bizarre things I've seen all weekend. But I couldn't put Don't him in like the seat. Don't like the dancing, it's nonsense. Oh, God. Didn't go and dance. Uh, uh, <laughs> what? What you want about, no, Sean? No, you, need to, you need to swallow a few more screws to get that uh, that. Impression a bit better. I, I don't want it to get better. <laughs> but you've got to give him credit, Sean Dyche. Got to give him credit. Yep, doing well. What? When Dobbin goes sliding towards the... <laughs> You're towards... not re-watching the celebration, are you? No, no. <laughs> if you look right... When he yeah. goes... <laughs> if you stop it there. <laughs> if he goes sliding towards the corner and all the fans have got the corrupt signs, that would look so visually brilliant because the Premier League would want to post it everywhere. They want to post pictures of it, but they can't because everyone's got the corrupt signs up. But I've not seen one corrupt sign since that Man United game. They were throwing him as paper planes at Ganacho after he scored that goal. I don't get it. Get him back. <laughs> the bright pink, the dead, dead easy to see. Yeah. And you've spent all that money on printing them. Someone has, I don't know who, but yeah. keep doing it. Keep protesting. Keep like there's no there's nothing more powerful than sort of defying the man who's, you know, trying to stamp you down with these with these rules that you feel are unjust. And winning anyway, and just we're gonna win it anyway. It doesn't matter. When we had um Mike on from the Unholy Trinity podcast, I feel like protests are easier to do when you're not your team's not doing well. It feels like because they're on the upward spiral, they're just happy that the team are doing well. Whereas if there was a different scenario where Everton get pumped now two, three nil every week, I can you can hedge your bets that they will be protesting like crazy. I feel like it's a little bit too easy to start going on the quiet side when about two weeks ago, it felt like Goodison Park was about to explode. But this is the thing, right? Everton are out of danger at the moment and they're in a good spot. But over Christmas, I mean, we could do the first podcast of January and Luton could be out of the relegation zone. They could win a couple in. I mean, you just don't know. 
I mean, look at the way the league's turned around with Bournemouth playing well all of a sudden. Fulham scoring 10 goals in two games, winning 5-0 twice, and it just doesn't happen. <laughs> so you never know with the Premier League. That's what makes it so crazy, and that's why we love it. And hopefully you enjoy this podcast as well. Hit subscribe or follow if you do. Give us a review as well on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Always keen to hear what you think and you can get in touch with us via the social media channels the links to which are in the description as is the link to the telegram group where you can join the conversation beyond the podcast as well but that is it for another episode of football social daily from myself joel and marley we'll catch you next time see you then football social daily is a voice work sport production for the sport social podcast network